0: Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be finishing up that chapter today. So Paul is going to continue this narrative, guys, in regards to which, you know, we've preached and spoke a lot here in the church about... The heart of us as Christians. It's the heart that matters, not so much what we do outwardly, right? It's not so much the, the things that we try to just, you know, show to people, but it's also what we deal with and how we are inside as well. And one of the things that I hope you guys pull away from coming to the gathering and from reading your Bible when it comes to being a Christian is, is the measure of your Christian character is always going to be how you treat those who maybe you think you don't need. So I want you to think about that again. The measure of your Christian character is going to be maybe how you treat those individuals that you think you may not need. Is this yours, sir? This candle just rolled. Luckily, it wasn't a real candle. The church would you guys would really be jumping and moving around. But I want you guys to think about that. I want you guys to I want you guys to position yourselves in that place. And you know, I I want to open up this sermon with reading out of Proverbs twenty three verse seven. And this is a proverb that, you know, I don't want to go too much, I guess, off topic or subject, but one that's misused a lot in the church, and I'm gonna be reading to you guys out of the NIV, but how many of you have heard someone say, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is? How many of you have heard that before okay this sometimes is used as a way maybe to sit there and say that you know ernie or joey if you're not feeling the greatest you're not doing good it's really about what you're thinking inside that's really going to matter like how you are so it's almost we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were speaking about you know this the the word of faith stuff and all that that you know you can't dictate your outward being by the way necessarily that you are thinking, right? So, you know, if I'm thinking that I'm poor and I don't have money, I have to remember and realize, like, it's really what I'm thinking that's going to determine how I am outwardly. It's kind of this power of positive thought stuff. And as your pastor, I say here and say it's fooey, if that's the right word. Like, it's fooey, it's doo doo, it's not truth. Many of you in here have probably had bad days and probably have tried to think enough good thoughts in your brain to muster out this sense of, well, maybe if I think good enough, good things will start to happen. I don't feel good. Maybe if I think better thoughts, I'll feel better. And that's not what this proverb is saying. This proverb, now I'll read it to you, 23.7, says, For he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. We can outwardly be one way to people many of us you guys gather up for holiday meals and stuff like that you can know around family you can smile with a distant cousin or a relative and be nice to their face but how sometimes do you feel inside maybe with some family members that you may struggle with might have some issues maybe some contentment right you guys are just sitting there like you have no idea what i'm talking about right now okay this is what this proverb is saying it's what you have going on in your heart which truly dictates and determines who you are. I could be as nice as I'll get out, outwardly. But as this proverb says, if I'm calculating the cost, if I'm thinking about other motives behind the actions that I'm doing, that's really where I'm at as a person. I'm not doing it in this this selfless way. I'm doing it more so in this selfish manner. right? We This is where we always have to put ourselves as Christians when it comes to acting in the Spirit, operating in the Spirit and not operating in the ways of the flesh. My wife and I, we had this conversation this last week as well. You guys remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the unequal yokeness, right? It just doesn't work. And we were talking about the company you guys keep and all that stuff. Not necessarily going out of church and texting your friends that maybe aren't believers and saying, hey, we can't kick it anymore because I'm a Christian and you're not. It's not that, but it's a matter of as, as you have one... Side that is focused in pursuing one thing and another side that's pursuing something else, there's going to be this imbalance in that relationship. And for that relationship to work, guess what? There has to be compromise on one side. There really does. Someone has to compromise something. And for us as Christians, it's our job to bring Christ into the equation, bring Christ into the picture. Well, this goes for the same way when it comes to us inwardly as well. You can't operate in the ways of the flesh and operate in the ways of the spirit at the same time. It just doesn't work. And if you try to do so, one is going to overshadow the other. There's going to be compromise, if you will, in one way, shape, or form. And we we talk about this a lot because this is something that, that we can at times be guilty of, but something that we also observe with people as well when it comes to quenching The Spirit in their lives. We want you guys to walk in the freedom and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We do. We want that to be expressed outwardly because of something inwardly that's taking place. And we stand up here. I have the the pleasant job and calling to stand up here and, and to warn and to counsel and to guide you guys that if you are living in one way over here of the flesh if it be by the company you keep, if it be by the way that you're acting, the things that you're participating in, what does that do to your ability and your your frequency, if you will, when operating in the ways of the Spirit? It quenches it. But on the flip side, when you're operating in the ways of the Spirit, in accordance with the ways and the fruits of the Spirit, what do you guys think that that does when it comes to the ways of the flesh? It quenches it. And what we want you guys to do, and what we pray for you guys to do, is we pray for ourselves as well, is that we understand and see the significance of us as Christians just waking up every day with this humility, this want, and this need to just be in accordance to the Spirit of God. And that is shown hourly. It isn't just a matter of coming to church every Sunday. This is a means of it. It's a way to be encouraged because let's say throughout the week you have been acting as such, You've been operating in the ways of the Spirit, but you've gotten your butt kicked in the meanwhile. You're treating those individuals that in the flesh of things you would really give two craps about, but you're showing Christ to them. That's an exhausting thing to do. Is it not? When you're kind to people that in the flesh of things you just know they don't deserve that from me. They don't. But you have to stop and remember, we read about it in 1 John as well. We love, because we were loved, what? First. And you guys, yeah, we sit here and I can even as a pastor recite it to you, but I'm going to stand up here too. It can be very difficult. And chances are, if you try to muster up that goodness on your own, you're not going to do it. You'll get burned out before you even get started. You'll convince yourself before you even approach the individual why you shouldn't do it. Isn't it crazy how awesome we are at justifying the ways of the flesh? Like the excuses we make for ourselves to do the things that we do? Think about it. We're masters at it. Well, This person did that. and This is why I shouldn't be that way to them. I love saying this message because you always see people get very uncomfortable as I'm speaking it. Like maybe you guys just did it this morning or something or <laughs> yesterday. I don't know. But I speak to you guys from personal experience as well. But I wanted to say this to you and position your guys' hearts and minds because this is really what Paul is going to go into, especially in the rest of chapter 5 here, about the sense and the significance of really what goes on in the heart of a Christian. And this is really what separates us from the world. That we put to death the old self. And we are now walking in the newness of life. And you said today your message in Advent was on peace, correct? Love, love, same thing. First John. Yeah, and I'll and I'll say I I use those words interchangeably. I do. Because I've found out too that when you are loving people, would you say that life is a little bit more peaceful than when you're hating people? Let's be honest. And I know it can bring a sense of conflict, it can bring a sense of like you know, disturbance to us as well, but this is the way that Jesus calls for us to be as Christians, because we are Christians. The world doesn't know this. The world has no idea about this kind of love. But it's our responsibility as Christians to be the ones to bring this kind of ministry to a world that so desperately needs to To have it. And Paul's going to speak about this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. So I just wanted to position your guys' hearts there. We're going to start off here in chapter 5, verse 11. And Paul starts off saying here in verse 11, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So, this is operation for us as christians starts with this respectful fear of the lord this filial fear this this fatherly fear okay we understand his holiness we understand his reverence and this is what we operate from and we understand in knowing his holiness and his reverence the fact that he loved us first should spur about in us this grace and this love outwardly to other people and this is something that I hope to hit home with next week during the Christmas sermon. Yes, I'm preparing a Christmas sermon. I'm not going to be preaching on 2 Corinthians, but this is a message that I really want to hit home. And this is something that I think we wanted to try to hit home with you guys too throughout these last few weeks of Advent. in prepping and preparing your heart, but maybe even revealing something to your guys' hearts as well when it comes to Jesus Christ. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves. He's basically saying we're not trying to give ourselves the self-approval to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. This is the world. We love to show our deeds. Churches can even be guilty of this as well. You read in the book of Revelation, outwardly I see you're alive, but inwardly you're what? You're dead. You've lost track of your first love. The pride of things can get us to do things outwardly. You guys probably see it all the time. And I'm not knocking people for maybe taking a photo of a good deed that they do. But a lot of people like to promote the good deeds that they do. Right? And I'm speaking from personal experience. It's tough sometimes to just do something nice without letting everyone know the nice thing that was done. This is a sense of humility, spiritual humility. So Paul is wanting to say this, that we're wanting to give you, the church, this opportunity to boast about what we're doing from an inward perspective with no care or concern about what's being done outwardly. But there's a group of people out there that that's all that they're about. They want to display and show this outward sense of religiousness and spirituality, goodness, but inwardly, their hearts aren't anywhere with you. But we get lost in that sometimes as people. Many times we do. Verse 13, he says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God, but if we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I was speaking to my wife about this as I was sadly preaching to her last night as we were laying in bed. And she looked at me and she goes, My brain is not there right now. But she, she bared with me and let me uh, speak to her about this. This is Paul just really playing on some words here, as he tends to do in his writings. He's basically just wanting to let us know that there was a group of people, in the church of Corinth, that were criticizing Paul for all the stuff that he was going through for the name of Jesus. He was taking a lot of persecution, sufferings, and struggles, and people thought he was crazy. Like, Why do you continuously do this? Why is this guy acting? Look at him. He's a mess. He's a wreck. And he keeps going. Do you guys think that your life should be like this? This guy is out of his mind. Paul is saying, for those who think I'm out of my mind, I do this for God. But for those who know better, for those who are in alignment of the Spirit with me, for those who know Christ, for those who know that this is about the heart and not necessarily things that are just done, they're for you. I do the work and the labor that I do for God and for His bride, for the church. So he wants to emphasize that. He wants to hit home with that. People may look at you and think because of the way that you are as a Christian, that you are kooky, that you are crazy that you are out of your mind. Because the world does not say that you treat others who treat you in a certain way with love. And I want to always make sure that I emphasize this too. This does not mean that you conform to what they're doing. A pastor and I just had coffee this week and we were talking about this and he said that that tends to probably be his biggest struggle as well. Is that we live in a culture that thinks that if you're loving someone and they're completely different than you, Believe completely different than you do. Look completely different than you. Identify with whatever they identify with. If you love them, there's a fear that people may think that you're conforming to them. Political viewpoint? Vaccination status? I don't know. That's not what it means to be a Christian parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We've spoken about this. The Good Samaritan didn't ask the man that was laying half-dead on the road, who he voted for. He didn't ask if he was vaccinated. He didn't ask who he identified with. He just simply loved him. And we need Jesus Christ in our life to love as such. You operate in the ways of the flesh. You operate in the ways of whatever other than the Spirit. You're going to miss it. But here's the most important thing. Those around you they miss it. You're showing nothing different to the world around you than what the world's already used to seeing. And this is the ministry that we bring with us as Christians. does it mean you're a doormat. It doesn't. It means that your objective is to show Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ showed himself to you. You were saved while you were still what? Sinners. Oh, you see how this just connects back and forth. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ to the world. Jesus made himself known to us. Now through us, we make Jesus known to the world. And it's in those opportunities where people just seem to be at their nastiest, where things just seem to be at their darkest, that his glory shines the brightest. And I think as a church today, as a whole, we miss that a lot. By a show of hands, how many of you think the world is just freaking off its rocker right now? (laughs) Amen or ouch. How many of us, you don't need to raise your hands, I just ask you to take this to your heart. How many of you in here, and this was a convicting thing for me to ask myself. How many of you in here think that maybe you contribute to that chaos in some way, shape, or form? There you go, Brandon. Maybe by something... You tweet, something you post, something you say, something you write. But man, Jesus hits something to a deeper level. Maybe it's even something that you're harboring in here. Maybe outwardly we do a good job at showing that we're okay, but it's something in here that is expressing something completely different. I'm going to tell you guys, it's what goes on in here that breaks a person down more than anything else. Because you only can fake it until you make it so long before the true self starts to show, before someone says something out of line that you have been outwardly just trying to show that you have it all together, when a chair gets flung, an expletive gets yelled, whatever. you got to be in the spirit of things. you got to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you in the midst of those times. Ask Him to fill you in the beginning of the day. Every day. And we can miss that. We do miss that as a church. There is no peace in the flesh. There isn't. All of us in here can attest to that. We want to get our point across. We want to keep it real. We want to do whatever. There's no peace there. There never was. When we show Christ to others that don't deserve it, show Christ to each other, there's peace and there's life in that truth. He goes on here, what is the thing that drives us? What's the thing that makes us act and be the way that we are when people look at us and say, man, Whitney, you're out of your mind. Ernie, you're out of your mind. You guys are, what is it about these people that make them look so kooky? What does Paul sit here and say in verse 14? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So, it's the love of Christ, the reminder that He saved us while we were still sinners. It's that grace that drives us. Paul will speak about this later on in 2 Corinthians, this grace in which He does and acts. It's not the grace that, it's not me who works, but it's the grace in me that works. It's this force, this power, this recognition from God that causes me to do the things that I'm doing. But what does He mean here, though, when He says that because we are convinced that one died for all, that therefore, All died. What do you mean? What do you mean all people died? Well, he says here in verse 15, He died for all that those who live should no longer what? Live for themselves. But for who? Him who died for them and was raised again. As a Christian, you live a life of free grace. Grace is free. His love is free. His mercy is free. The acceptance of it doesn't cost you anything to come to Him. But once there's true acceptance, guess what? This free grace, it does cost you everything. I've had people ask the question about tithing in the church in the New Testament. You get those questions as a pastor. They sit there and say, 10% this and 10% that. And I've been pretty vocal as a pastor about this. I don't believe the New Testament preaches a 10% tithe. I'm not against it. I don't think it's wrong if people practice it and do it. I just don't believe it's something that's that's taught in the New Testament. It's a part of the Mosaic Law. We learn in Scriptures that we're no longer under the law. But we do learn, as Jesus says, to give out of a joyful heart. But something that I like to bring to the forefront when people ask about tithing in the New Testament church is I sit there and say, the Bible does not say in the New Testament to give 10% of your money. It tells you to give a lot more, and that is your life. That is what it means to be a Christian. Now this is not an overnight, fall to your knees, I'm completely transformed and changed and everything that I'm doing, this is a process that takes place in the life of a believer. But as the scripture says as well in 2 Corinthians, that we're called to evaluate ourselves in the faith. We're called to check and see which trajectory are we going on. Are we working our way Closer to Christ as these days go on? Are we becoming sanctified and changed by being in the Spirit? Are we being convicted of the things that we're doing and participating in? Are there things that the Spirit brings as a reminder to us to where we start to cleave things away from our lives? Looking more and more like that brand new creation that Scripture says that we are? Or are we, as we talked about weeks ago before, just simply sitting on the fence? And who did I say own the fence, church? The devil. The devil owns the fence. He doesn't give two craps if you're there or there. Sit on the fence all you want. That's where I want you. Because guess what? There's no peace when you're sitting on the fence. And sitting on a fence, I would think, would be spiritually and physically very uncomfortable. Use your imaginations. And I want people to stop and think about this. We find this conflict that takes place. And conflict nonetheless, it is something that is spoken about once again in the Bible, in James. There is this sense of mourning and wailing that takes place even at times with us as Christians when we are being sanctified because we are literally giving up ourselves for Christ. And that's not always this pleasant process. It isn't. As you grow and change, guess what? Your life changes. Being a Christian, as I said, doesn't mean that you stop doing things that are enjoyable. It's the things that are enjoyable, they change. they change. And guess what that automatically does with the people you're around or the places you go? They, too, change. But the beauty of it is this. Is by you showing Christ in that manner, in that way, by you showing that you're this new creation, you then are even showing those people around you Christ so then they too can come to know him as well. There's something different about Brandon. There's something different about Scott. Yeah, you're going to have that group over there that's going to automatically remove them from a group chat. They don't want to deal with them anymore because they seem just like fuddy duds and they don't do the things they used to do. But you could also get that small group where that seed has planted itself in their hearts. And guess what? It's starting to take some root to it. And they're starting to wonder a little bit about what is this that's changed these men so much? Or what is it that's changed these women so much? We are the means of that ministry of reconciliation, bringing a fallen creation back to a holy Creator and a holy God. That's who we are as Christians. We have been reconciled back to God the Father through Jesus Christ. We take that truth with us now to the world around us so then they too can be reconciled back to him. Amen? So he goes on to sit here and say, I'll start back here at 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live shall no longer live for themselves but for him him who died for them and was raised again. So we now are giving our lives for Christ because we know that Christ gave his life for us. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This in some translations speaks about the flesh. I want you guys to think about that. What does that mean, a worldly point of view or in accordance to the flesh? It means that we're not viewing people from a means of what we see on the outside. We're not looking at people, engaging them based on what it is outwardly that we see. Because what is it that matters? What goes on inside. It it matters what goes on into the heart. And it even goes on to sit here and say, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I as a person that was Not a believer. I used to think all this religious stuff, the Bible and all that, was just kooky talk. It was just odd. It was just weird. I was gauging it in accordance to my flesh. Realizing, though, through reading His Word and through the Holy Spirit quickening my heart and mind, that guess what? I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And who was that Savior? Jesus Christ. And understanding that Jesus gave His life for me even when I didn't deserve it. So what am I called to do now as a person that's accepted that grace? Is I now want to give my life up for him. Who does deserve it? So that is the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we bring to people around us. That they'll have everlasting life as well. So we don't view the world as, as such. We don't view it by what's on the outside. We view it because we know that Jesus Christ looks at our hearts. So verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here's a convicting passage, The new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. You can't talk about being a Christian. I, as a pastor, can't preach a sermon and a message to people. If I preach to people who one day said that they gave their life to Jesus Christ, who one day said that they did something in a church or responded in a certain way, but still live the same as the old self. Period. Period. I'm not doing this to to heap a burden on you. I'm doing this because I want you to evaluate yourselves in the faith. And if you're sitting in church today or if anyone's even listening to this online and they're sitting there and they're going, okay, I don't feel like I'm any different. I don't feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. This is where I think you guys have failed to understand God's grace in your life. This is where I think you guys have not truly comprehended the grace that he's bestowed on you. See, churches can do a really good job at kind of promoting the locomotive of the gospel. It's like this heavy weight that I present in front of you guys and I say, you guys should be doing this and you shouldn't be doing this. And we can just stop and leave it there. The thing that gets the locomotive going, the thing that makes it move in our lives to start to show that change and that fruit is the understanding and the acceptance of God's grace in your life. There is nothing that you could do to earn salvation. Nothing. That truth in itself is the biggest thing that people wrestle with. It is a love that cannot be comprehended. I said this to you guys before and I'm going to say it again. There is no inherent standard of good about you that God saw to go, I need to send my son to go die for Dawson, die for Dave, die for Nikki. Man, there's just something pleasant about them that I see that I got to send Christ to go. No. God is love. Period. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the commandments, the purpose of those rules that you guys see that you probably try to gauge your faithfulness on, you fail at them every day. Amen? Every day, you drop the ball somewhere. If it not be what you're doing outwardly, okay, Joey, you didn't kill anyone last week. Good job. But is there something in Joey's heart possibly that could be hateful to someone? Right? Josh, you didn't commit adultery on your wife. Is there something inwardly that's expressing a lust towards someone? That'd be bad. That'd be bad. And here's what Scripture says too. Okay, wait a minute. Joey and Josh, 9 out of 10. Not too bad, right? We're doing pretty good. Better than most, right? Wait a minute. Scripture says this in the book of James. Joey, if we break one of them, guess what? We broke all of them, dude. Once again, the law is just a mirror of our sinful nature and an expression of this holy, loving God. He loves us even while we fail miserably at trying to keep his law. When you grasp that truth, what a freedom. What a joy. What a breakthrough. You're telling me that by accepting this, wait a minute, I see my sin And I see my sin in a way now that I've never seen it before. And I don't like it. But I trusted knowing a God that's there to forgive me in the midst of it. Not only is He forgiving me in the midst of me seeing it initially, but in the pursuit of Him in every day of my life being sanctified and changed, that when I do slip to to something, He's going to forgive me again? Amen. But wait a minute, that gives me freedom to continue to sin, doesn't it? No, 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 no. It doesn't. His grace doesn't give you freedom to sin. His grace gives you freedom from sin. So now when I accept this true grace and I know what this grace means, now I find myself not desiring to sin because I know I'm going to get away with it. I actually desire to be righteous because I love righteousness and I hate sin, but I have this flesh that continues to desire this sin. Romans 7, what a wretched person that I am. Who can possibly save me? Oh wait, there's Jesus Christ again. He's just always there. This is the gospel, church. And if you haven't accepted the gospel, you're going to continue to burden yourself. You're going to continue to try to strive and work for some kind of goodness or perfection that you've established in your brain to try to flaunt to God, and it just isn't going to work. Jesus says, Come to me all who are what? weary Weary and burdened. My yoke is what? Easy. My burden is what? I will give you what? Oh, how many of us in the church today just need rest? Because we still operate with the sense of, man, I screwed up. And I can't stop kicking myself in the butt for it. His grace is far bigger than any kick you can give yourself in the butt. And when you finally come to terms with that, you will actually see yourself sinning less. Not going, man, this is a party to continue to do the things that I want to do in the flesh. That is when people start to see that brand new creation. That is when a person starts to let go of the old self and walk into the new creation. Behold, Christ is here. The new creation is here as well. The old is gone, the new is here exclamation point verse 18 all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation this is a news a good news guys that a fallen world needs to hear and when you understand and comprehend this good news guess what you're going to want to go do go tell the world about it maverick wrestled yesterday Passed out on the pew. I'm not out. He went five and one in the Coldwater Classic. Did great. Four and one. Sorry. I could <laughs> not. He was a winner in Jolene's heart. I, I wanted to go tell people about this. How many of you guys have had kids do stuff, people do stuff that you're just proud of? You wanna go tell everybody. Even people that you know probably don't even care. But maybe they will. Right? Man, that person really must love the news. We get stories from our kids we want to go tell people about it. We want to brag and boast about it. Do we do this with this ministry of reconciliation? Do we do this because we recognize what it is that God has done for us? We probably don't do it as much. We probably somewhere along the line have really kind of lost that reverence for that news we're in a time right now where we're celebrating something huge. God loved the world so much that he sent, he sent his only son. That's what this time of year celebrates, God sending his son. And his son had one job, one task, and one purpose coming to earth. What was that? To die. For you and I. And that is something that I always want people to stop. When you see the baby in the manger, do you see the goo-goo-ga-ga, oh, he's such a cute baby, or do you see a king? Or do you see your Savior laying there? He's going to die. For you. Think about that. Do we bring that fervency with us when we speak about the ministry of reconciliation? Once again, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Think about that. I'm going to read that again. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So God is the creator of all. We have to bring that message out there to tell people, guess what? You were created by this awesome God, and through Christ, you now will be reconciled back to Him, no longer spiritual orphans, now with the ability and the the privilege to call Him Father. That is the ministry of reconciliation. But in doing so, guess what? He doesn't even count your sins against you. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are now the bearers of such a message. If we don't speak it to anyone else, guess what? They're not going to hear it. Paul spoke about it earlier on in 2 Corinthians. Letters of recommendation? I don't need one. You're my letters of recommendation. No one may ever open a Bible. They may never step foot in a church, but guess what? You're that Bible. You're that church. They need to hear this message. And you guys all said, world's a little kooky right now. What a beautiful stage that's been laid out for the church to go speak such a beautiful message to people. Because I'll tell you this right now. A lot of people are wondering and questioning their lives, the lives of others, because of the chaos that seems to be ensuing in the world today. You have a message of truth. You have a message of reconciliation that they need to hear. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So, if I speak to you about the Gospel and I speak about Jesus dying for you on the cross, I always have to make sure that I speak about Him being resurrected on the third day. By Jesus living a life of no sin. And we know that the wages of sin is what? Death. By Him not knowing sin, That means death could not hold him. So when he was killed and buried, the way that the rules go here, he couldn't be held. And what that him being resurrected signified was that he was a just and worthy and perfect sacrifice to God the Father. And for anyone that puts their faith in him, that righteousness is then imputed unto them we are dirty and mucky while in the world but when we put our faith in jesus christ his blood cleanses us as white as snow before god the father amen so next week we are going to have a sermon on christmas i ask you guys please to come Um, we understand and know once again that it is christmas but Um, We want you guys to be here at the gathering. We want you guys to come here. It is Sunday. It's a day of worship for us. Um, But I do want to play a song here just to close because once again, I know these messages and these sermons put us in a place of conviction. Maybe they remind us as well of some stuff that's going on in our hearts. I want you guys to take this time once again to ask the Lord for forgiveness. I want you to, to repent. I want you guys to ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit. And I'm even going to walk around and pray for you guys while this song is playing, while you have that time with the Lord as well. I don't want you guys to quench the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. I know that you guys don't want to quench the Holy Spirit working in your life. And I understand and know that those desires of the flesh, they're strong many days. There's a lot of things in our days. that The Bible says the days are filled with evil, so we have to make wise of our time. The only way that you can navigate through these days is when you are keeping yourself in pace with the Holy Spirit. And that is something that you have to come to the Lord in submission and saying that you need. You have to just come to Him and say, Lord, I know that if I'm going to do this, I need you to do this. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me discernment. Teach me. Opening up the Bible. Guys, when you even open up Scripture, you have to have the Holy Spirit there to help you learn Scripture. There's a lot of people out there that know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. And we find even in Scripture too that the devil knows Scripture. Amen? So I want you guys to take this time. I want you guys to just be in prayer. Once again, I will walk around. I will pray for individuals as well. Um, yes, that's it. I thought there was something else I wanted to say, but there wasn't.